you guys. It's time to get into the rest of Sawyer's experience with Ryan and Madison. In order for her to see up from down and right from wrong, she had to be willing to crack open a window and let some light in by reaching out and letting others speak the truth into her. She desperately needed to understand the toxic triangle she was a part of, and that wasn't possible until it fell apart. She calls it codependent, which rings very true, but is also just the surface. Like I mentioned in part one, I think it was a slow boil, and eventually she was too isolated from healthy community to see just how enmeshed she truly was. She takes a lot of personal responsibility for how she helped perpetuate dysfunction. And it wasn't until she gave permission to others who loved her to speak the truth that she started to recognize what was really going on. Content warning for this episode is suicidal ideation. Another quote I'll highlight from this episode that I think is great. I had this fear of being alone and it kept me in this relationship where I was already alone. Ryan and I got married in that fall and that experience too was probably exactly as you would imagine it. It was a shit show. There was a lot of drama with the bridal party, drama with Madison. I already alluded to it. She was my maid of honor. There was drama with the reception details. Nothing was good about it. We had this plan and this was the one thing that I actually was very excited about since music was important to both of us. That was how we met. We decided that for our reception, we were going to set up not a stage, but we were going to have instruments all set up with a sound system. And we were going to do a a live band with me and him and Madison. And my dad was a drummer and a guy who was a good friend. He's still a good friend of mine, but the guy who drummed on my first full length record he jumped up and that was fun. And I was very excited about that. But there was so much drama around how that sound system was going to get there. It was the one thing that I tasked Ryan with because I don't think I trusted him and he just didn't seem to care about the details of anything. So whenever we were getting closer and there was a, a lot more piling up on my plate and Madison's plate as well, I said to him, can you make sure that we get that sound system from my home church. It's portable. It should be super easy. Just talk to my friend, bridesmaid, who was the worship leader at that church at the time. And he said, yeah, no problem. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. The night before the rehearsal, we went out for drinks. It wasn't technically my bachelorette party, but it sort of was. And even that, I just kept telling people, I don't want anything crazy. I want to be in bed by nine o'clock. That's my default. I just, can we do one thing that is specific to me, please? I don't want to go crazy. I just want to go get a couple drinks with you and have fun. So while we were out having drinks at this bar, Madison made a comment to my bridesmaid who Ryan was supposedly in communication with about the sound system. And Madison said something about the sound system. My bridesmaid made a face and immediately I knew She has no idea what is being discussed here. And the bridesmaid said, what? What are you talking about? I have not heard about this before. Madison and this particular bridesmaid did not get along. There was a lot of conflict between the two of them because they're both very strong personalities. And this bridesmaid was my best friend from high school and then through college. And Madison obviously was whatever the heck she was to me. We presented as best friends. So 
I think that my other best friend kind of could see that something was wrong, but also didn't know what it was. So there was just a lot of rub between the two of them. And that conversation went on longer than it probably should have. And I started panicking because I thought, oh my God, we're hours away from this thing at this point, like 48 hours away. Why do we not know what's going on with this very critical part of this wedding? The only thing that I'm looking forward to, get it figured out. So Madison went, called Ryan, and according to her on the phone, Ryan said that he had texted her months ago, my bridesmaid, about this sound system and made a point to say, I'm looking at the texts right now. I sent them. I sent them. So all of this drama continued with who said what, I don't know, but I decided to trust my fiance. If he said that he reached out to her, then he did. And she, the bridesmaid, was lying or trying to save face or a combination of the two. I didn't know what. So I was operating already from a point of I'm pissed at her because she dropped the ball. There was a blow up between her and Madison and Ryan was just kind of like everywhere that there was always drama occurring, but never part of it, but always observing it. And everything continued that way up until I was getting ready to walk down the aisle. It was almost like my very spirit left my body. And even moments after this ceremony concluded, I could not remember what happened when I walked down the aisle because I think I blacked out. But what I was told about that moment by my dad, by my mom, and the wedding coordinator was that every single person who was in my radius who could hear me and had a direct line of sight of me was that they were all concerned about me. Because I entered into this state almost of mania where I couldn't control my breathing. I was laughing. I can't tell you why, but both my dad and the wedding coordinator were at a loss for what to do. My dad wasn't sure that I was going to make it. He thought I might pass out. He thought something was very, very wrong. But the wedding coordinator opened the door and my dad walked me through and I just kept laughing all the way down the aisle. I don't know if I really saw Ryan much at the reception. I I had fun, but I was hanging out with other people and he was off somewhere else. And I don't, I don't know where he was, but we didn't really spend much time together at the reception. I didn't see him until we got into the car to go to the hotel by the airport. We were flying out for our honeymoon the next day, which was anything but fulfilling. I got back from our honeymoon and said to my mom, uh, I lost weight. We went on a cruise, all-inclusive food. I texted her and said, uh, yeah, I, I lost five pounds. My mom was like, you're supposed to gain weight on your honeymoon, not lose it. And I was like, uh-oh. Bad sign. Bad sign. But it was very indicative of how the trip went because sex felt like a chore. He had been waiting for me to serve him in from the moment we got together. And we had a room in the cruise ship that was interior, so we didn't even have a window. There was no natural light when we were in that room together. None of it felt right. And the whole time I was just fighting to get Wi-Fi on the ship so that I could talk to Madison. That was really my lifeline to the real world. I stayed in touch with my mom too, who also was not doing well after the wedding. And I didn't find that out until 
until much later, but we got back home and I was just so happy to be near Madison again. And when we did arrive back home, she gave me a journal of mine. It was a journal that was just sitting around our house somewhere that, remember, the three of us now shared. And she had written in my journal every single day that I was gone, notes about how much she missed me, how depressed she was that I was with Ryan and his now. It was interesting because I still have this journal, but she wrote in normal font, normal font, normal font, but she changed the size of the font that she wrote in for this particular part where she said she realized that she would be okay to never marry anyone and just be with me and have a family with me. This was not even days after we returned. This was just mere hours. She wasted no time no time whatsoever. And this was the gal who in her maid of honor speech took 80% credit for my relationship with Ryan. So right back into that, whatever you even want to call it, I, I was thrown back into the fire and Ryan went back out on the road. And it also felt like, oh my goodness, I'm with my person again. I can breathe, even though she was part of what was sucking the air out of me. It was surreal. But she was more appealing, I think, to you, or you had more, you felt more for her than you did for Ryan. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter that she's, she's like running the tornado that's happening Mm -hmm. right now. She was the tornado. She's adding the air to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she kind of was 80% responsible for this, if not more. Mm -hmm. She, yeah, she was not wrong when she gave that statistic. There was definitely a lot of her doing, but it was a mess. And he did, he went back out on the road pretty quickly. And when, when he left and it was just Madison and me, even though it was anything but clear cut and straightforward and something that made sense, it did feel like my life finally made sense again. And it was not long after that, that it was, it was within the week that we returned from the honeymoon that we did finally make out, which is still something that makes me feel so much. I don't know if it's shame, but it's just a feeling of, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that I did that because I did not ever picture myself as somebody who would be unfaithful to somebody that they married. And I ended up doing that very quickly, almost immediately. It's just a combination of regret and guilt Well, you also, you never imagined yourself doing that right after getting married, but I'm sure you never imagined yourself in the marriage situation Mm -hmm. you did. You probably never imagined the wedding you had or the feelings or lack of feelings you had. None of this, it sounds like, was you. You'd sort of entered an alternate universe for quite a while. That is exactly what it felt like too, because it didn't align with what I knew to be true about me and my own personhood and personality and character. It was like I morphed into someone else almost, partially because it was the only way that I could survive this grave that I dug for myself with both of their assistants. But it was so disorienting. Everything was intertwined that year following the wedding. And as long as Ryan was able to come home 
and have sex with me, he was good. He would disconnect. He'd play video games. He paid little to no attention to my emotional well-being because for starters, there was hardly any well. It wasn't well. It was very bad. But he was in and out in every sense. And in February or March of that year of 2017, I started experiencing these weird physical symptoms that were new to me. I could not take deep breaths without experiencing this intense piercing pain up my back, through my chest, into my throat. I had no idea what it was. And it lasted a good week before I drove myself to the ER because in my anxious state, I convinced myself I was having a heart attack. I couldn't get anything under control. And a couple of my friends eventually joined me in the hospital and were strongly advocating that Ryan get there immediately, my husband. And I kept texting him saying that he didn't need to leave work to be there because I didn't even know what was going on. And I knew how important work was to him. And I didn't want to potentially ask him to do something that would prompt an argument. So I just kept saying, it's fine. Don't come. Don't come. And honestly, I didn't really want him to be there. But his response was not that of a concerned husband. He made me feel like a continued inconvenience to him. And not just for dealing with whatever it was that was going on, but for all the back and forth from my friends and him, friends and me, me and him. And I just kept thinking, I'm in the hospital and I'm terrified and he's irritated. How does that make sense? But for some reason, it did make sense to me because again, once you're in it, you just don't don't know. You don't recognize when things are, why things are wrong. You might be able to recognize when things are wrong, but you often don't have the words for what is going on. And I think that that too is something that is sort of a tactic that people of that personality type use to sort of break down your own ability to process into words why something is not okay. Because then whenever you do try to express, this isn't okay, I'm upset, they can sort of just tear out one little thread and your entire reasoning unravels. And you're like, well, maybe maybe I made a bigger deal about that than it actually was. And maybe I read into something and maybe I overreacted. And you not only question what happened, but you question the way that you perceive things. I was at that point where I felt like I must just be making a bigger deal about this than it is. But Obviously, something's physically wrong with me, and I didn't have a heart attack. It was more than likely a result of stress and the crippling anxiety that I was feeling day to day. But it still was such an interesting experience. It was the first real, not emergency, but quasi-emergency that we experienced as a married couple. And I came out of it feeling like, well, apparently... I'm just blowing things out of proportion again. That response says a lot. Even if it wasn't a big deal, you would expect him to instantly be there. Exactly. Because he would have expected me to instantly be there had the roles been reversed. Yeah. Of course. My parents came to visit us in May of 2017. This was the first time I was seeing them in Austin after the wedding. I think I had gone home once for some kind of music related thing. So I saw my mom and my dad and Madison was there as well. But this was the first time that they 
saw me immersed in my day-to-day living. And my mom shared with me, I think it was on that trip, that as soon as I opened the door and she saw me, she knew I was not okay. She hugged me and I walked back into the house and she turned to my dad and said, something is very wrong with her. She is depressed. She's not okay. That whole visit was weird because up until they came down and saw us all interact in that setting, I was sort of just putzing along, telling myself that any conflict that arose was my fault. Just work a little bit harder to maintain the peace. And yep, my fault, my fault, my fault. That's all it is. Just deal with it. So whenever they did come down and they saw it, and my mom in particular started questioning things that Ryan was doing and saying, I thought, wait, you see that too? And that's not normal? Oh my goodness. And we had a whole conversation in her rental car about how depressed I was and how weird the relationship had become between Ryan and me. And Madison was there for it. So she also had gone from pushing this relationship between Ryan and me to advocating for how unhealthy it was and how poorly he treated me, which again was another weird piece of it. But we were all just talking and it was a big moment for me because I was, I felt like I finally had the space with somebody who was an outsider to say, I'm not good. And even though I couldn't turn to Madison and say, and you're part of the problem, I was at least able to say to someone, there is a problem. Because when Madison was around, I just didn't talk about that. It didn't feel like it was a problem, but it was almost like the presence of my parents propped the front door open a little bit and some light started streaming in. And I thought, maybe I'm not crazy. I might be wrong most of the time, but I'm not crazy. And that was a huge pivot point for me because I needed to have some validation that the things that I was seeing were not present in healthy marriages. Ryan's personality just continued to deteriorate. He was, he was impossible to be around. When my parents were there, we went to a show that a friend of mine was in, a Beatles cover band. So we went out, we were having a great time. It was at this super cool venue It was my parents, Madison, Ryan, another friend of mine, and me. And we were having a blast. It really was such a good night. But maybe 30 minutes into our arrival at this venue and when the band started playing, Ryan, sort of as an aside to me, said, my head's killing me. I have a migraine. I think I need to go home. I said, okay, well, why don't I drive you home now? and then come back out with everybody because I don't want to make them leave because they're visiting. They're having a great time. It felt like a good compromise to me to say, I'll take you home so that you can go to bed, get some rest, take whatever meds you need to take to kick this migraine. And then I can come back out and join everybody again and then just bring them all home whenever it's time to call it. He just kept saying, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'll I'll just stay. I'll just stay. It's fine. And I kept asking him throughout the night, are you sure? It's not a problem. I'll drive you home. I don't mind. I just don't want to make them leave. And he insisted, no, I'm going to stay. 
But that didn't stop him from being such a passive aggressive brat the whole time. He was essentially trying to force my hand to make me choose between pleasing him and being with my parents. And I was once again punished for choosing incorrectly. The following day was very weird because he sort of ignored me, but sort of didn't. Was playing video games all day, but didn't really talk to me, but also tried to sort of throw me a bone every now and then. And I didn't know what to do. My parents were getting ready to leave. And even then my mom said, something's up with him. That was weird. And I feel like we're seeing a totally different side of him. That honestly became pretty normal. That was standard functioning for our life together. Not a single thing in that season of my life was good because Madison continued to try to date people. And every time she would go out with someone, I would lose my ever-loving mind. It also didn't help that she was very dishonest with me throughout that process. She was never candid about what was going on between her and these guys she was dating best friends are supposed to supposed to and should want to share those details with each other if they're dating and they're getting excited about people but she always hid information from me about where she was going to be and what she was doing and who she was doing it with and what she was communicating to these guys and how seriously she was talking to them because the cycle would go she would meet someone whether it was on a dating app or in person she would start going out with them Eventually, she would be like, nah, not interested and cut it. But I discovered with one of the guys in particular, she was talking to him like they were actually dating, like they were exclusively dating. They were boyfriend and girlfriend. She was flirty in a way that kind of felt superficial, but she was giving this guy all of these green lights to behave as if they were a couple. She was essentially communicating to him, we're a couple. And she was not telling me that. She was lying about what was going on between them and saying that it didn't really mean anything and she didn't really like him and wasn't even all that attracted to him. It felt like I was in a free fall. Nothing was ever going to make that chaos stop for me. It became difficult to get out of bed to go to work, to shower, to do anything. I was just so deeply depressed because my passion for life was gone because that was my life. It was impossible to be passionate about that or want to keep going in that because I kept asking, keep going for what? Keep fighting for what? This life? It got to the point where it didn't seem worth it. One day in particular, that light in my heart and in my spirit and even in my mind just kind of went out. I was sick. I wasn't getting better. And I just wanted to end it. I wanted to be done. I wanted to go somewhere else. I didn't know where the somewhere else was, but I was pretty sure that it wasn't, I wasn't going to find it here. So when I was home alone that afternoon, that particular day, I just, I was searching frantically through every drawer, every cabinet to find something, anything, some kind of pill, medicine. I didn't even know what I was looking for, but I just felt like if I find it, I'll know it and it will quiet this agony that I'm feeling and it will all be okay. And I wanted something painless. I wanted something that would just kind of like send me off, but I wanted something permanent. I'm very glad that I didn't find anything 
And eventually my husband did come home. And with that disruption, I found firm enough footing that I knew I didn't want to force anyone I loved to deal with me taking my own life. So I, I stopped trying very quickly, but it didn't make me feel better. Things continued to be weird and Ryan continued to be more and more possessive and rude. I remember one day we were all driving home from church together to, can't state this enough, the house that the three of us lived in together, it's still so freaking weird to me, but we shared it. We were on our way home. He was talking to some person from the college that he went to about the music program at that college and what it was like going from there to the actual industry and getting into the lighting and tech side of things. And he not once ever used my name in that conversation. Anytime I came up, he referred to me as my wife, my wife. I think he may have said my name at first. So the person was familiar with my name but he only ever said my wife. And in that moment, I was so angry because I felt like I was his possession. I felt like I was his property. And whenever I brought it up to him later, he brushed it off and said, why aren't you glad that I'm just proud to be with you and be married to you? And I tried to communicate, I am me. Use my name. I have my own personhood. But he just kept saying, I'm proud, I'm proud to be married to you. And I don't know why that's a problem. And he would say things all the time that made me cock my head and go, what? I got an Apple Watch for my birthday that year. But he argued one day, he tried to play it off as a joke, but no normal person would make this joke. He tried to argue that technically, because we were married, the Apple Watch belonged to both of us because we shared everything. I pushed back and I said, what? What do you, what? I'm the one who uses it. It was given to me as a gift. What are you talking about? And he just, the more that I pushed back, the more amused he got because I was getting so worked up. And he just kept his cool the whole time and said, you know, we're married. Biblically binding, we share everything. What's, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And I said, I don't want your Apple Watch. I want mine. It's because it's mine. You can have yours. It was just so bizarre to me. But those comments, he would just make them all the time. It made me uncomfortable and I didn't like it. But he didn't care that I didn't like it because he thought it was funny. Oh, and that part is even more upsetting. Mm -hmm. it's, it's icky. Well, and seeing that something makes you uncomfortable, you would think he would want to dig into that. Maybe even if he disagreed, oh, let's figure this out. But him being amused by your discomfort, that's unsettling. And maybe it brings up my own past stuff because I, mm -hmm. I just remember like to this day, I will get this fire in me because my ex would laugh if I was worked up and it's the, it's just like dastardly. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> and the more amused they get by it, the more worked up you get because it's like, why are you doing that? Yes. Why are you doing that? You say you love me. This isn't how you behave when you love someone. And then they get more amused and it's just, it just keeps going and going and going. And then eventually you do act crazy. Mm-hmm you flip because they put you in this position and then they're like, whoa, you're a crazy, you know, they accuse you of overreacting mm -hmm. <laughs> over something that was such a not big deal and didn't need to escalate to that point if they hadn't pushed it to escalate to that point. Yes. But he did it all the time, all the time. And then it's a, why are you acting this way? It's just an Apple watch. Then you ask yourself, why am I acting this way? It is just an Apple watch. How did I get here? 
am I a bitch? Yeah, I guess it's ours. And then you you give in because you have been told that you overreacted over something really stupid. It's a very effective way to get somebody to agree with you. It's psychotic, but it's effective. It does the job because eventually you will wear the other person down because they just don't have the same stamina. Yep. It's very damaging to the other person's psyche. It is. And he did a lot of things all the time. He not forcefully because he was a gentleman, but he demanded sex whenever he was around and he would imply this is biblical, essentially. He never used the words, but this is your duty, woman, essentially. And that's how I started to view myself was I'm here for him to provide what he needs because he's off working so hard and he's earned it and he wants to be with me. I should feel so flattered, even though he gave no indication that he even liked being around me when we weren't having sex. The interest in him towards me just went out. It was like a switch. And I would try to engage because I tend to think that I'm a generally enjoyable person to be around. But with him, it just kind of the less and less attention I got when it wasn't physically related, the more and more I felt like, and I think you said this and something was wrong, like, I guess I didn't have as much to offer as I thought I did. And that was just a common and frequent thought in my brain. Huh? I guess I'm not as enjoyable as I thought I was. I guess I'm not as charming or fun or fill in the blank. That year, a friend of ours threw a surprise party for his wife, which is not the same month as mine. In fact, I think they're like a month and a half apart. But it incidentally and and very coincidentally became a surprise party for me too. I'm trying to reiterate, my birthday is not in the same month as my friend's birthday, but my friend's husband decided to throw her a party, suggested, why don't we make this a a surprise party for both of them since we didn't really do anything for Sawyer this year? And Ryan hopped right along and he took so much credit for this party, which I later found out he had nothing to do with. He threw in like one inside joke that we had from very early on in our relationship and just kept hyping that up all night long as if he had been responsible for the inception of surprise parties to begin with. It was just a a bit much in the moment. The party was fun, but I do remember we played that game Quiplash, which is essentially like Cards Against Humanity, but you're choose your own adventure. You fill in the blank. And one of the prompts for my anonymous response I filled something in. I can't remember what the prompt was, but I knew when I, you know, when you have a good answer for that game, you're like, oh yeah, this is going to get people. It made him laugh out loud in a way that I had not heard him laugh in probably years. And when he found out that I was the one who gave in that answer, he was legitimately surprised. He was so taken aback that I had the capability of being funny. And I thought, why is... Why is my own husband, the person I share a bed with, surprised that I'm funny? That's so cruel and disheartening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was so angry because two of my biggest fears in life in general are smelling bad and being dull. And 
I love being funny. And the fact that one of my proudest personality traits was something that he didn't even recognize in me. Oh, he did. He did at some point. (laughs) That's what we tend to forget. Mm. I wonder if he was subconsciously trying to demean that part of Mm. you. There might have been a part of him that was hurting or that was jealous or that was who knows what. But he'd seen something in you in the beginning. So who was he the fool for pursuing you? I mean, whatever. He liked what he saw at some point. Yeah. He liked yeah. it until he didn't. That's the common theme. There were just so many things. That I And I feel like this is another important piece to include because it just a peek into the way my brain was working and the way that he kind of programmed my brain to work. We went on a trip for his brother's wedding and stayed with friends on our way back home. And we slept on an air mattress in their living room. About halfway through the night, I woke up and the air mattress was very, very deflated. It was uncomfortable. It was kind of on the ground. We were both at that place where it was like sagging. I thought it was so quick that I didn't even entertain the idea. Maybe I could move to the couch. No, I can't move to the couch because if I did, he'll give me grief tomorrow that I left him on that air mattress alone. I can't do that because he will make me feel bad for abandoning him on this deflated air mattress and taking the only available couch. So I didn't. And when I woke up in the morning, I was on the floor by myself because he had gotten up and moved to the couch. And I thought, huh, okay. Meanwhile, all of this is going on. Madison and I were still being on and off intimate with each other. She would initiate and then pull back. And then I'd try to initiate and she would pull away completely. And the the cycle would repeat and repeat and repeat. But even with her retreating and running away from me, experiencing any level of intimacy with a human being who I loved and felt, for better or worse, loved by, actually loved by, was so welcomed when it felt like the man I was married to just couldn't be bothered by me and what I was experiencing on an emotional level. So we were just carrying on, Madison and I, this will they, won't they relationship in the midst of everything else that was going on. I was so sick. I was so sick. Ryan and I celebrated our one-year anniversary. It was not good. I was so sick the whole time. I was on the beginning edge of bronchitis. For the first time ever, I was so sick. We walked around. We went out of town in the city all day. We were walking. I was so exhausted. I told him, I don't, I just, I can't have sex with you. I can't. I'm so tired. I'm so sick. I can't breathe. And again, he didn't verbally make me feel guilty but he still found a way to make me feel guilty for not engaging with him on our anniversary about how in the world can you not do that to celebrate this moment, even if you are sick, because I would have done it with you if I was sick. You're a guy. I feel like guys, yeah. In December of 2017, Madison and I were out with friends one night and I got a text from Ryan that made me freeze, made my blood go cold. All it said was, do you love me? I responded with, yes, of course. And he said, can you ask Madison to stay somewhere else tonight? And I had no idea what I was walking back into that night. I was terrified and I was driving back home with Madison. When we got there, I warned her, you may have to stay somewhere else tonight because I don't know what's going on. 
So she went into her room. I went into our room and he had my iPad. He had opened it and looked through all of the messages that Madison and I had sent to each other. And I knew in that moment my life was imploding and it would not be the same. Ryan and I, we stayed up all night talking while he cried. I don't think I actually ever saw any tears, but he did bury his head in his hands throughout the conversation and made noises that sounded like an alien might think humans sound when they cry. But he just kept exclaiming how he couldn't believe that he had been so stupid. It was through these exasperated sighs. I can't believe I was so stupid. I can't. I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. I didn't know what to do. So I defaulted to reassuring him that I wanted to be with him. I honestly didn't know what I was saying. I was just trying to do damage control at that point. And that I was in love with no one but him. And it's crazy what you discover you're capable of when you don't care about being alive. I was capable of a lot, a lot more than I thought I was. But one of the defining moments of that conversation was when I told him that I had been so unbearably depressed that I wanted to take my own life. I wanted to commit suicide. I just wanted to get out and be done. But what ended up pulling me out of that state was realizing that it wouldn't be fair to everyone I loved if I did that. So I decided not to follow through and to just keep going because it wouldn't be fair to everyone. And his response was, yeah, you're right. It wouldn't have been fair. I know that's word for word what he said because I remember it so distinctly. I don't know if I said anything after that because I didn't know what I could say because the man that I was married to had just been told that, yeah, I I am a mess, but I am also, I was suicidal. And his response was how unfair it would have been if I had followed through. I tried to sleep that night, but I couldn't. I just felt so sick to my core that I had made this poor man feel so betrayed. And so I couldn't get over how much pain I inflicted on him. And I was disgusted by myself. I couldn't believe how incredibly I had failed him and the marriage and God. And it just felt like I was this disappointment to so many people on such a catastrophic scale that I didn't really know what to do with myself in that moment other than feel sick about what I had done. After many discussions with my mom and my therapist and other people who loved me, I decided that I did. I want to be in this marriage and make it work because if I had all those problems and was the problem, then I could start to get healthy and make it work because he obviously wanted to be in this marriage because he was telling me that. And I wanted to be faithful to the vow that I had made. So I asked Madison to move out of the house. I did of my own prompting. Nobody told me to do it. I mean, people did eventually tell me to do it, but it was after I had already decided this is what's happening. And she wasn't happy. She was not happy about it despite all that was going on, all of this turmoil didn't understand why I was asking her to move out, but she did. She did do it. And I was ready to do anything that it took to be all in with Ryan because I thought that was a problem. So if if I was getting my act together and cleaning everything up, then honestly, I believed nothing was going to prevent us from making this marriage healthy and whole. I was very wrong. 
Uh, in keeping with the theme that Christmas was weird, he and I went home to see my family and I I miss Madison so much I didn't know what to do with myself, but I was determined to do what I said I would. So I tried to tune her out. I tried not to talk to her, not to call her, not to reach out to her because I was focusing on Ryan and making sure that I was being the wife that he deserved. And it didn't take long for me to start seeing everything clearly. Not just my own very, very poor choices. Ryan started saying things and doing things and just being a certain way that made me understand the reason I had been so flippant and disconnected was because of his own disconnectedness. I kept trying to connect with him emotionally and I kept trying to get him to, to meet me on that level. And he just kept asking me why we weren't connecting physically in that season. I was telling him, I'm not there yet. You got to wait. We got to start to build a more solid foundation before we get there. But he was focusing on things that were so not what I was communicating to him that we needed to do as a couple to get healthy. He was just asking me, when are you going to be ready to record music with me? When are you going to be ready for all of these things that really held no consequence and would make me feel unreasonable whenever I'd ask that we get to a stable place in our relationship before we start adding the physical dynamic back in, the music piece back in, because what the heck, that doesn't matter right now. I'm not focused on that. I'm not thinking about my music. I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm trying to get us good. But he was having none of it. On New Year's Eve, while we were still home with my family, Ryan and I got into a fight. It was something about Madison and rent and what she owed us. And I thought I took a level-headed approach because I was saying, no, she paid us. And he said, no, she didn't. And we got into this huge fight. He accused me of continuing to take her side, continuing to have her back over his. And I was so confused because I didn't, I didn't feel like I was taking a stance. I felt like I was just being logical and not wanting to ask someone to pay us money that they didn't owe us. But he didn't care because he was just so pissed that I could possibly defend her. He got so quiet and so reserved and cold towards me until friends of mine came over to hang out for New Year's. And it was like he became a totally new man. Nothing happened. He was treating me like the light of his life. His entire world, like the entire freaking universe revolved around me. And it was so disorienting. But I ran with it because it was a holiday and I really didn't want to be in that chaotic frame of mind. I just really wanted some peace. After almost a month of not knowing what to feel or think or having any type of stability, but the next day when we went back home, he didn't talk to me at all on our drive back. It was nearly seven hours. I was trying to get him to engage in conversation with me. And I was either receiving one word responses or no responses at all. And eventually when we did talk about an hour left in the drive, I was being honest with him for the first time in probably forever, just saying, these are the issues. They're coming from both sides. This is what's going on. And he was berating me for that. He was telling me, he was saying, how could you do this? How could you bring this up? And at one point he got so worked up that he asked me to please stop talking because he couldn't handle what I was saying. And I told him, Ryan, if we can't be honest and discuss what's going on, what's really going on in our relationship, we are going to be doomed to fail. And I don't think he talked to me for a few days after that. But 
when he did break his silence, it was like nothing happened. It was bizarre, but that's a very common tactic in emotional abuse, the silent treatment, and then coming back and regaining control of the situation and the narrative. And I thought that that was probably the worst of it, but I was once again wrong. We started counseling and together, couples counseling. And the first session was good and helpful, but it did get worse from there because Ryan was just totally unwilling to look at the part that he played in the disconnect between us. And he just kept referencing the betrayal and the hurt and everything that I did to him. It was just back and forth, back and forth. Madison came to visit in February to get the rest of her stuff. Both of them knew it was happening, but he forbid me from seeing her. She begged me to see her. I was still in the middle of this tug of war between the two of them. She was just all in at that point, kissing me, touching me, telling me she wanted to be with me. And I was like, I'm in this marriage, though, that you encouraged and I need to see this through. It may not work out. It might work out. Regardless, I need to see it to the end and I don't know what you want from me. And the struggles continued with Ryan because counseling really just wasn't doing anything. It just felt like I was on trial every week. So when I would share, Ryan would utilize that information against me later as a weapon, specifically sex. I brought a, I didn't feel comfortable talking to him without the counselor present. So I would bring things up there because I felt like this is a safe space to engage in these conversations. And I mentioned sex and how it just felt so dehumanizing and so not what it should have been. And later on, we got into the car and he said, I can't believe you would bring that up for the first time in front of the counselor. Why is that the first time I'm hearing this? And he later texted me and I have a screenshot somewhere, but he basically said, I don't know what to do with all that sex stuff because I kind of feel like a predator and I just don't know what to do with that. And I thought, I'm sorry that your behavior made me uncomfortable and my discomfort now makes you feel like a predator. What am, it was so wild. There was one fight in particular that we got into where he texted me. He texted me a PDF of my wedding vows to me and he told me to look them over and see if I was living up to my end of the bargain. And I thought, oh boy, this is not getting better. And it just kept continuing, kept continuing. And we would have these conversations. It would go in circles, mostly about sex, because he'd ask for it and I'd say, I'm not ready. And then he would throw a fit. And I would just think that he was clearly understanding me. And then he would do something that would make me go, nope, he's not he's not understanding me at all. He's not hearing what I'm saying. He's just engaging in this conversation long enough to punch his time in and then punch out and then he can go back to doing what he wants. We got into a fight in the car one time after church because he was grilling me about what I was reading in scripture. I turned to him and felt like, why am I on trial? So I asked him, what are you reading? What are you getting into? And then he just wasn't having it, kept getting worked up. And I, I said at one point, again, if we can't have these conversations, we're not going to make it. He said, pull the car over. And I said, where? We're on the highway. Where do you want me to pull over? And he said, pull over, pull over. I didn't know what was going on. So I obliged and I, and I started getting worked up and I pulled off of our exit ramp. 
got out of the car. He got to the driver's side. I went to the passenger side and I was so mad. I don't remember what I said, but I ended it with, you are making me feel like I'm crazy. And he said, well, you're yelling. That was the moment that I was like, we're done here. We're done. We're never going to be able to communicate. Our last counseling session, he sat next to the counselor. So I sat by myself on the couch and it felt like they were scolding me or counseling me together. It made me feel like a child who was being disciplined. It was so weird. And I didn't, I didn't go back to counseling after that. That was it. I was done. And he just kept making, he just would demean me in front of our friends. He just comments. He made a comment about Gossip Girl one time because I like Gossip Girl. Sue me. And he, he said, I don't know. It was that or one of those gay shows that you watch. And I was like, excuse me? He tried to walk it back, but it was obvious that I was insulted. I never tried to claim that Gossip Girl was this mecca of cinema achievement. Well, and really that choice of word, really? Exactly, exactly. And I think maybe he knew and he was just tossing a, a dig in. It was personal. I went out with friends. I didn't tell him I was going to a show with friends. I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to leave now. I'm going to this thing. And he called me and on the phone at that same night, he apologized for the comment he made. And he said, I didn't mean anything by it. I was just, it was stupid. I feel bad about it. And I was like, I'm going to see you tonight at home. I don't know why you needed to make such a big show about apologizing. But I started at that point getting my things together. I had a bag packed because my friends who I had gone to that show with, uh, Sadie and Becca, they had said, we will let you move in with us while you separate from him because they had seen it all. They had been there for me. They were kind of becoming my support now that I had distanced myself from Madison. And I had my bag in the closet there was one day I had been putting it off, but I decided I knew one day in March of 2018, it's time to go. You're putting off the inevitable. And after I left work, I drove home and I wept the entire way. I just, I could not stop saying, I'm so sorry. I was saying it to Jesus. I was saying it to him. I was saying it to myself. I was just ashamed in that moment of the choices that I'd made that got me where I was and got someone else to that point. Because I still, even though he had not been very kind and loving towards me, I did care about him because he is a human being and I didn't want to hurt someone. I got home, he was behaving as if everything was normal and I had to muster up the courage and I sat down and I told him I was leaving. I didn't tell him and I didn't say anything about divorce. I just said separation. We need to separate. I'm leaving indefinitely and I need space if our marriage has any chance of survival. And that conversation didn't go well. He started sort of with me on the same page at first, but the conversation it just was snowballed downhill to the point where he was accusing me of, he, he was a concerned about my relationship with Sadie and Becca, my friends I was moving in with. He felt it was a little too similar to my relationship with Madison. And I said, if you think that, you've not been paying attention because it's not. They're good friends. They're there for me. He was going off about how he, he just couldn't believe that somebody who claimed to love the Lord was even entertaining this idea. And 
basically just sort of trying to wear me down to the point of conceding that either, yeah, sure, I'd stay or admitting that I was a terrible person and I was willing to do neither. Eventually, I got up, I stood up, went to go grab my bag and I said, this conversation is going nowhere and I'm leaving. And I moved in with my two friends, bless them, seriously, over and over and over again. It was such an important and necessary thing for me and that they did not need to do. They did not owe me that, but they let me move in with them and it was such a safe space for me. But the day that I left, he sent, I told him I didn't want to hear from him. I didn't want to talk to him. But that same day, within a few hours of me leaving, I was literally at the store with Sadie and Becca shopping for things, groceries for me since I was moving in with them. He texted me saying, I ran into this girl we both know, and she she was mentioning something about this summer camp and they need a worship leader. I'm not sure if you'd be interested, but I just wanted to let you know that that she mentioned your name. And I didn't respond because I thought, what? Did we not have the conversation where I said I was leaving? I guess you didn't hear it. He did not respect my request for him to give me space. He left notes under my windshield wipers on my car. At one point, I just saw him drive past my place of employment. He didn't leave anything for me. He just drove past it. It was like he was checking to make sure I was there. I didn't respond to anything. I didn't text him. We Anytime we did text, we would get into these intense arguments. And I would say, I'm done engaging with you because you're not hearing me. And then he would go off in all caps. And then eventually walk it back the following day. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Eventually started sending me emails, trying to get together. I was willing to do it because at this point, I knew that we were going to have the divorce conversation. I was going to say, this is where this is headed. But he, for some reason, was never able to get together whenever I would suggest times that I was free. And so we just went back and forth on that email chain about when we were going to get together. But I had the peace of mind to know I'm going to ask for a divorce because I didn't matter to him. My emotions didn't matter to him. All that mattered to him was him. In April, we we scheduled a phone call. As always, he was oblivious. I told him I was going to be filing for divorce and he went into a rage as if he wasn't expecting that this could be a possibility. He told me he would never sign divorce papers unless somebody could provide biblical evidence that he had been unfaithful. Unlike me, who had been unfaithful. And you know what? I I was. I was trying to pretend like I hadn't been, but I was. But he was spinning it in a way that like, no, I will not do it. And I tried to say something to him at that point in the conversation. And he started screaming at me, let me talk. Let me fucking talk. And I hung up on him. He immediately tried to call me back. I blocked his number. I was done. I was done. His mom reached out to me, sent me such a nasty message, and I blocked her number. I moved back home that May, back in with my parents, which is every 25-year-old's dream to move back in with mom and dad after being on your own and being married. And he just kept peppering me with emails What was interesting, as if none of that was interesting, he ended up serving me with divorce papers that summer. Part of the reason I moved home was because I learned some law about divorce and legality. And I realized that if I stayed where I was and tried to file for divorce, it could go on if it had been contested indefinitely. 
So moving back home, I figured, okay, there's a certain time period where eventually the marriage will just dissolve if it goes contested and we will be officially divorced. But I didn't need to because he did serve me papers that summer. I was more than happy to sign after I met with a friend of mine who used to be a lawyer and she looked over it and made sure that nothing was unsavory. But as I started to reorient from all this, I felt like, okay, the worst of that is behind me because eventually in a few short months, whenever we have our court hearing, we will be divorced and I never have to see him, talk to him ever again. But Madison was still in the forefront of my mind. My parents were not very big fans of her at this point because she had very openly pushed me into this marriage that was a mess. And she was sort of just trying to weasel her way back into my life. So I felt torn again between her and my parents because I wanted to see her. I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to spend time with her. But my parents were like, be careful, be careful. And I felt like I couldn't be honest with them about her being around and me seeing her. So I would wait until the last possible minute and be like, oh, by the way, I'm seeing Madison. Bye. And would hop out of town to go for a visit. I just perpetuated my parents' distrust of her. She, this summer, was telling me she wanted to be with me. She just wanted to be with me. We would figure it out. She was sending me all of these videos and links from people in the church who were diving into the issue of homosexuality, same-sex marriage, because at this point, we were both telling each other, well, we're not gay. We just fell in love with each other, and that's normal simultaneously, we were trying to claim that we weren't, but find a biblical defense for it so that we could justify being together. I thought maybe it's not as cut and dry as we thought it was. Maybe there is a possibility that we could be together. And I started getting hopeful that that was something that could happen. And we were talking every day. We, at least twice a day on the phone, we were talking. We'd FaceTime at least once. And I really did think at this point that we were going to figure it all out and it would be okay in the end. But we we weren't living in the same town. So it was a quasi long distance relationship at best. (laughs) She, however, started to disconnect from me a little bit. It wasn't a lot, but we were so close that it was enough to tip me off that something had changed. So I I just kept asking her what was going on, what was going on. And for a while, she said nothing. But eventually, she told me she thought she was interested in a guy back home. It was a guy that at one point, she made an effort to assure me she was not interested in and never would be. But she went back and forth on it a couple weeks, too. Just, yes, I do like him. I want to see where this goes. No, I don't. I'm not sure what I was thinking. I think I was just confused. Wait, I think I just need to see what happens. No, I don't like him. It's just you. I want to be with you. So after a couple weeks of that and more head spinning, eventually she did tell me that she was going to move forward and see what would happen with him. It's going to sound dramatic, but it did really feel like my entire world was just crumbling around me because she became my entire world. I saw life through the lens of her. I even saw myself through her lens and I couldn't find true north anymore. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I lost so much weight that when people saw me, they thought that I was sick. I was a mess. My parents had no idea what was going on with me because I wasn't sharing any of this because it felt like it was a secret that I had to keep to myself. 
but they were worried sick. I remember this one time around the holidays that year, I was in bed, in my bed at home with my parents, a 25-year-old woman watching New Girl. My dad brought me a peppermint mocha and he handed it to me. I didn't even move. I just grabbed it from him. He stood there for at least 30 seconds without saying anything and then went, are you okay? And I said, yeah. And he stood there a little bit longer and then walked out because he just didn't know what to do. So on one side, I'm by myself, no one seemingly to talk to about this. On the other side, Madison is telling me that she loves me more than anyone else in the world, doesn't know what's going on. She just wants to see, she wants to explore one more path to the normal life she thought she always wanted. And she kept me on her hook by saying she probably thought we were going to be together in the end, but she just needed to see what happened because she wasn't sure how she could explain to her parents that she was in love with a woman. All the while, I had to go back to Austin to have this divorce court hearing. It was finalized in November. Ryan brought his entire family. I only brought Sadie and Becca because they lived in town and they provided support for me. Awful. His sister-in-law chased me down afterwards and said, hey, how are you? And I was like, well, I've been better. How are you? And he said, I'm good. I think you owe him an explanation. I just think you owe him an explanation. And I said, I'll think about it and then walked away. And that was the last time I saw anyone from his family. But I didn't really even care about any of that because my mind was so focused on what was happening with Madison and whether or not she actually had feelings for this guy, whether or not she was going to choose me. After Christmas that year, she came to visit and assured me that she didn't want to be with this guy. She wanted to be with me and she was trying to figure out a way to end things with him because he was so involved in her parents' church. And we just kept saying to each other, I'm not gay. I know you're not gay, but we're in love with each other and we want to be together. And that was just kind of our mantra. And I just kept discovering things secondhand, mostly on social media, that indicated she was very much with this guy. She was in it with him and not looking for a way out, but she lied through her teeth anytime I'd confront her. And I believed her because when you love someone and are always honest with them, you want to believe that what they're telling you is true. So I did. We always told each other that there were no double standards and that we loved each other more than anything. And we were always honest with each other. But I would go to visit her and she would do her best to keep me away from this guy that she had been talking to, saying she was going to end things with. But eventually we did meet this guy and I met and it was awkward and he seemed to not know anything about anything. And I was just very aloof and cold because I didn't know how to engage with him and didn't know what he knew about me. And I flew to her hometown at one point to surprise her for an event she was having. And I learned from him that night that he was her boyfriend. They had made it official. It was the first time I heard anything. And I said, oh, I didn't know that. Wow. And she tried to play it off like I did. She said, oh my God, yeah, you did. You knew that. Of course you knew that. Come on. And I said, no, I did not. I walked out to her car. I didn't know. I was reeling and so mad. Of course, she did enough to just keep me around and keep me calm and convinced me that she was going to end things with him. She just, she didn't even know how it happened. She did. I tried to ask her when, when did you make it official? She didn't know when she didn't know the date of her anniversary. It was all of this. And I just kept saying, why wouldn't you be honest with me? Why wouldn't you be honest with me? 
Meanwhile, Ryan has jumped into a relationship with another girl already posting about her on social media, but I didn't care. It just, it didn't mean anything to me because things with Madison were what they were. And she would continue to flirt with me and assure me we'd be together, keep me around and invested, and we would keep visiting each other. And I still would go to the beach with her family every year. And she would avoid talking about her boyfriend as if he didn't exist. I would find things out secondhand and I would confront her and she would say, no, 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 that's not what it looks like. I would be like, but then what is it then? What is it then? And this psychotic cycle just continued and continued until I finally started trying to put my foot down because I couldn't handle it anymore. So I started to be manipulative right back. I thought that if I could just find this magical combination of words or do the perfect thing or just get her to open her eyes, I would be able to snap her out of this hypnosis I believed she was under and she'd realize that I was the right person for her and she would magically muster up the strength to talk to her parents and then we would be together. I just can't emphasize enough how sick I was. I was not okay. During the pandemic, we were all kind of struggling. She came to spend Thanksgiving with my family and that was weird. We were visiting each other constantly. The cycle of just, I would see things, get mad. She would say it didn't matter. She was gonna be with me. I would be okay. Keep going through that cycle until eventually I said to her, are you in love with me? Do you want to be with me? You have to make a choice because I can't live like this anymore. If you aren't in love with me, you need to let me go. This isn't fair to anyone. First, she said she didn't have an answer, but after our final visit with each other that summer, she and I talked on the phone and she said, I can't see myself being able to give you what you want. Being with a woman openly, I hate that because I want to, but I just don't think I can. And I was crushed. But for the first time in maybe our entire relationship, I felt like I had a concrete answer. That lasted for a few hours. That same day, she took it all back. She took it all back. She told me she didn't know what she was saying. She felt like she could choose to be with me. She felt this pressure from my mom and her therapist, who was also my therapist, to be honest with me and just set me free and give me peace because I wasn't okay. I told her that I was confused and this didn't make sense and that I couldn't talk to her for a while at least on the phone, but we kept texting and it was constant as well. And she just kept assuring me that she needed to get bold enough to make the choice that she wanted to make so that we could be together. But there was no type of linear progression at that point. It was just constant, her saying she was going to do it. But me bringing up, you told me that you couldn't be with me. Why would you say that if you didn't mean it? And she would say, I didn't know. I, I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't mean it. And then I would say, but you still said it. And she would say, I felt pressured. And then I would say, okay, so will you do what you need to do to be with me? And then she would say, yes, I just need to figure out how to tell my parents and then break up with this guy. And I said, but you said you couldn't do that and be with me. That was our communication for the last year and a half that we were in each other's lives. And I was just living in this constant state of emotional exhaustion that I really couldn't do much of anything. So I micromanaged my diet and my weight because I felt like that was the one thing I could control, but it didn't help. But I just felt 
insane. I felt with her nagging and needy and unstable and always like I was asking too much just because I was asking for clarity. And that is so important because asking for clarity and demanding respect is never too much, ever. Even if I didn't know that I was trying to ask for that and wasn't asking for it in a very direct way, that was what I needed from her. And she she was just how I defined myself for the better part of a decade. So I didn't know how I would be able to find myself if I even could find myself if I lost her. So we were stuck in this manipulation cycle for a while until external factors within my family started to come into the picture. Around Christmas of 2021, my grandma got very sick. Her health started to decline. And on on Christmas that year, we got a call from the hospital and they said that she might not survive the day. I didn't know what to do because that was the very first time in my adult life that someone I had been so close with was on the verge of death. And my dad was a wreck. And for Madison and me, that was the defining moment of the end of our relationship. I got sick. I got COVID. I spent New Year's with my parents who also had COVID. I'm pretty sure I gave it to them. And my grandma passed away within a couple weeks of the new year. It was just such a paradigm shift for me because I didn't know how to handle grief and loss in that way. And I started trying to cling to Madison for support because she had been my emotional support for so long. I just, I was trying to lean on her. And the more I tried to rely on her, the more she pulled away dealing with my grandmother's funeral. My dad had to be admitted to the hospital because he had gotten so sick with COVID. And anytime I would try to lean on her, she just withdrew from me. And her grandmother's health started to decline and her grandmother ended up passing away as well. And it felt like there was such a double standard, which she claimed there never was between the two of us, between when my grandmother passed away and when hers did. She needed me for everything and needed me to understand that everyone in her world was relying on her and that I couldn't need anything from her. But there was one day in particular where I was so upset that I just, I was like, if I can call her and talk to her and just get her to say something, I'll find some peace and I'll find some comfort. And when we talked on the phone, I had an awakening where I realized I'm never going to get the comfort that I'm seeking from her. And I need to start talking to other people or this is going to kill me. I realized I don't want to die. I don't want this to kill me. So I finally started talking to other people. I started talking to my now sister-in-law about it. I started talking to my mom about it. I started talking to my friends Sadie and Becca about it. And it was this moment of the earth underneath my feet started to shift beneath me but it was the first time that I was seeing reality for what it was. So even though the truth was painful and even though it was difficult to come to terms with, I realized she's been lying to me the whole time. She's been telling my mom, who knows what she's been telling people in her life, but she's been treating this situation like I'm the one who's in love with her. It's not mutual. She just doesn't know how to tell me that she can't be with me. And I saw her for who she was. And it was 
a liar. She was a liar and she had been lying to everyone. I got so mad. I did actually finally start to detach from her because other people in my life were there for me. They knew the full scope of it. I went back and forth because it really was like I was sick and addicted to her. And I kept going back to the source to get more hits of whatever I thought it was I could get from her. But I knew in that moment, even within myself, that this was different because she was trying to pull me back in. She was trying to get me there, but I had support. And I knew that this relationship was not good. These people who are here for me now are here for me. They want to see me get healthy. They want to see me be whole. She never cared if I was healthy and whole because she herself is not healthy. And when that's where you're operating from, all you do is try to get people to stick with you in that dysfunction. And she was trying to pull me back into it. I went without texting her for days for the first time in our entire relationship. That was good for me, but I couldn't sustain it because things with my dad started to get worse as well. And he had come out of the hospital, but then he had to go back to the hospital and eventually had to be put on a ventilator. And all of the resolve I had in my relationship with Madison was just gone. I couldn't. I didn't have the strength to turn her away and to walk away. And I was still just kind of looking to her for support and companionship. And it was still different on my end because I was just flat. I didn't know what to do. But I was in a free fall that for once wasn't initiated by my own choices. Everything was out of my control and her presence was familiar. A few weeks after my dad was placed on a ventilator, my mom and my brother and I had to make a decision because his status wasn't improving. And we decided to have the nurses take him off. And he passed away later that same day that he was removed. And Madison and I were texting here and there, but she she would comment on this entire situation as if it was about her. She would always say, I wish there was more I could do. I'm here for you in whatever way you need. I'll drive there and be with you for the service. And just kind of made everything about her and how she found out that Sadie and Becca had traveled up for my dad's service. And I had told Madison, please don't come. It's going to be confusing for me. Please don't come. And when she discovered Sadie and Becca were there, she just said, wow, people are going to think I'm really shitty for not being there for you. And at that point, conversation for me shifted. I started detaching again and she was trying to pull me back in, but eventually she sent a gift in honor of my dad to my mom's house and a letter to me. In that letter, she said, I can't give you what you want. I'm not gay. I'm going to marry this guy. I really want you to be there in my life for this because you're the best person I've ever known. What we had was so special and I'll never forget it, but I just need to stuff it away. And I'm asking you to essentially do the same thing, to hold on to it, but keep it tucked away. At that point, I was like, I am actually officially done. And I blocked her number, responded to her a little bit here and there on Instagram. But after she got engaged to this guy, I unfollowed her and stopped responding entirely and ended up having to send her a letter because she kept sending me TikToks and things on Instagram. And I, I wrote her a letter and explicitly said, I am so sorry for what I did when we were together, but we were together. And you're asking me to repeat history and I will not do that. People in my life know the story of what happened and they know 
everything about my sexuality because at this point I had come to terms with the fact that I'm gay and I was good with it. My mom was very supportive. I basically just said, I, I will not live in this delusion that you're trying to create. If this is what you want, I wish you the best, but please stop trying to reach out to me because I am walking away for good. And she stopped. She did stop talking to me until I publicly came out in December and she reached out on Instagram and said, I just needed to let you know that I'm proud of you and I would have hated myself or something along those lines if I hadn't told you that I support you and am here for you and just want you to be happy. It was so bizarre and so all about her, but I was able to respond and just say thank you. It was really difficult, but ultimately people knowing me for who I am fully and holy was so much more worthwhile than hiding who I am from them. It was important and good and I'm happy. That was the very last time that we interacted. She got married a little under a month ago. I wish her the best, but it doesn't look like it has the makings of a healthy relationship. (laughs) We can only wonder. I'm still reeling from the fact that she was essentially lying and telling everybody that you were chasing after her and that she didn't know how to let you down when I guess it makes sense, but man, it couldn't have been more the opposite Mm -hmm. that she played just as much. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, it's, it's okay. And my mom showed me a text message that, and she, she did have a habit of reaching out to my mom whenever I was really spiraling and being like, I just don't know how to be there for her, but I can't do it because I don't have those feelings. My mom showed me a message that Madison sent to her and I read it word for word. And that for me, that was what ignited my anger. You had to see that. You had to see the truth. I needed it. That's dark. It is. And it hurt. It was so painful to see what was actually going on, that she was perpetuating this secret relationship between me and her, yet maintaining externally that I was the one who wanted it, but she didn't. And she just cared about me so much. She was just trying to, she wanted to get to a place where she and I had a healthy friendship. Whoo, it was a lot. It was, and it's been a lot to unpack because st- even still, I'm like, wow, geez, that, no wonder I was so messed up. Oh, and it's hard to, I get that she's coming from a very deeply disturbed place, Mm -hmm. but that is so messed up to do to someone else Mm -hmm. too. I can recognize that she needs to heal, Mm -hmm. but she chewed you up and spit you out in the midst of it all. She did. And, And a lot of it, I have been able to process through why she behaved that way. And it makes sense to me, but it wasn't fair to kind of isolate me and make me feel as though she was the only person who really understood me and saw me and loved me, keeping me dependent on her and then feeling exasperated whenever I only ever went to her for things. Because that, I mean, ultimately that was what I had to realize for myself that I had this fear of being alone and it kept me in a relationship where I already was alone. That was part of what helped me take a step out the door. Like, okay, you're, you think that you're alone, but you're not going to be more alone than you already are if you walk away. You're going to be free. Exactly. It's one of those things where it's so easy to get swept up in it because you just, you don't understand that sometimes you're going back to the source of your hurt for comfort in your hurt. And it's like running into 
a burning house in the middle of the night trying to see where you should go next. It might be a little bit brighter in the house, but it's going to kill you eventually if before you can even try to move forward. So just it can feel really isolating and heartbreaking. And for a while, it might be. It probably will be. But eventually, the sun will come back up and it will start to illuminate your life again and you'll see the world right side up. Things won't be as on their head as they were and it's disorienting and it's hard, but it's worth it to live in reality again. From a brain standpoint too, you have to rewrite all of these pathways because we're wired to go for what's familiar. Mm -hmm. And Madison had been part of your life, like you said, for the better part of a decade. So while she is the source of your torture and dysfunction. She's also the most familiar and intimate thing you've known in a long time. Your brain is going to keep bringing you back to her until you deliberately rewire those pathways that have been those neurons that are firing in your brain. You have to change the direction Mm -hmm. of those and rebuild those habits. And that requires a level of intentionality that is very difficult. It's hard. It's so hard. And you can only get to that point when you're ready to get to that point. So you can't force yourself to step away unless you're actually, unless you've actually had enough. I think someone else said like everybody has their own lowest point. Typically it's nothing someone else can say to you to convince or convict or push you or it. You have to reach your own rock bottom. And maybe for you, it was finding out that she'd been lying. Maybe that was the Would you say that's what flipped the switch for you? Oh, yes. Yeah. And when a lot of people started to see and hear from me what was actually going on, they they started speaking into it in a way that I hadn't really given them permission to in the past because I the people in my life are so loving and so respectful. And they know they know if you're not gonna hear it, I'm not gonna force it on you. And eventually they all just kind of got to that point with her. But that coupled with there was a moment. It was when my dad was still in the hospital. My mom and I were sitting. I stayed at my mom's house for quite some time, but we were sitting on the couch together and just talking about just kind of diving more into the Madison stuff. At this point, I still was convinced that I was not gay. I thought I was straight and I thought that I just could kind of get out of this relationship and figure my life out and be fine. But my mom was talking to me and she said, I don't know what your sexuality is and I don't know who you're going to end up with. But if it's if it's another woman, she is not your girl. That moment, because I had kept I mean, I love my mom and she never made me feel judged about anything, but I love her and I want to make her proud and I did not want to disappoint her. So I think part of why it took me a long time to come out was because I knew that she at the stage where she was then she's since changed her mind. But then she did not agree with it and did not think that that was okay. So for her to say that to me in that moment, not giving me permission, but acknowledging that that could be a possibility and saying, she's not it. I froze. I couldn't even respond to it because I thought, whoa. Well, and it showed such a depth of love for you and she saw you and whether or not you... What the way I read this was she didn't care who you ended up with. She wanted you in a safe, loving situation. And Madison was not it. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what it was. What I picture as you're talking about this is 
so much of this really seems to be perpetuated by isolation because like you said before, you weren't around your family, you're in a different state. So all this got cemented while you were doing something different. And then as soon as you cracked that door open and the light started to flood in, you had supportive, what sounds like amazing people that could come in with permission. As soon as they had that permission, it's like the light just kept pouring in and pouring in and truth was coming out. Oh yes. And it freed you (laughs) more and more. And now that you were open to it and one thing beget the other Mm -hmm. and people could speak into what they were seeing. Yeah. It's back to man, our communities. (laughs) They're so important. I just feel so grateful to have such a solid group of people around me now because for so long it just was two people who didn't know how to have healthy relationships and I didn't either so I I helped participate in and perpetuate that dysfunction but now I I'm surrounded by people who know how to be healthy and care and I'm learning how to be healthy and it's it's just kind of the growth that I'm able to see in that is so incredible to me it doesn't make life any less difficult, but does at least give you control over the variables you can control. And it keeps you out of situations that aren't harder than they have to be. Yeah, that that was so, you know, relationships aren't easy, but I, I hear a lot of people that a lot of abusers or perpetrators say relationships take work. Marriage takes work. Ooh, there's a difference. There is a difference. There's a peace and then there is lack of <laughs> lack of that. (laughs) And typically when you have to say that caveat, relationships are hard, they take work. That means that something is amiss. Like if you're in a healthy relationship, you don't think about the work because you just know it's part of it. That's so true. That's such a good point. But if that's getting thrown around, it there's, that's a concern. Mm -hmm. You mentioned before we started recording that you tend to You'll kind of get rolling and sort of leave people mm-hmm. in the dust. So you want to make sure you didn't forget anything. Yeah. I didn't sense any of that. Maybe that just didn't come into play here. But one thing that I was struck by was your ability to layer in your emotions, your headspace, mm-hmm. the sequence of events chronologically, but your human experience at the mm-hmm. same time. From my perspective, you are gifted in that area mm-hmm. because it was so raw and what was the word? I could feel it. It was very tangible, Mm. your emotions, but also like you didn't, you didn't leave anything out of the timeline. You didn't jump in just assuming someone knew what you were talking Mm. about. I think you'd given that caveat. You're like, I just kind of tend to get rolling. People (laughs) like, what are you talking about? Where, you know, who's what? No, you did an amazing job there. (laughs) Thank you. I I was definitely very intentional about that because I, I wanted to make sure I avoided it. I saw my therapist last week and I think maybe with her, because the setting is different, sometimes I do that. But I was very mindful of the fact that I would say things to her and she'd be like, wait, who? Who is her? Who's she? Who's who's that person you're talking about? Who thought that? And I was like, oh, gosh, sorry. Let me back up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think that I and I guess that's the mark of a good therapist. If you feel like you can just spew. I was just thinking, obviously, you're in a good headspace there because you're just kind of it's flowing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is good. Yeah, I was curious to know if your therapist, I know that obviously Madison is not her client, but you as her client, did she have any perspectives on maybe how to place some of Madison's choices, maybe where she was coming from? It's interesting that you say that because Madison actually was her client. Um, Okay. I thought, I wasn't sure if you were still with that same therapist. When you mentioned that, I thought, hmm, interesting choice on the therapist part. (laughs) 
it was an interesting choice on the therapist's part. It was an interesting choice on my part to suggest that it was when it was in 2020 when everything was virtual and Madison was really struggling. And I thought, my therapist is so awesome. So I, I referred. And at that point, I hadn't been honest with anybody about Madison. So there wasn't necessarily this true pretense of, okay, so I, sh- I maybe I shouldn't take this client on because there's enmeshment happening. It was just kind of, and that's, again, I'm trying to give grace. I think that's probably where my therapist came from because she's not dumb and she's in fact very gifted at what she does. But the more we got into it, the more Madison started controlling that narrative too. And there was shortly after I saw the text she sent my mom, I realized, oh my God, she's been doing the same thing with my therapist who I shared with her willingly out of the kindness of my heart. My therapist thinks that I'm the one who is holding on to something that isn't there. And then I started being honest about it. And the therapist eventually, I think, caught up and was like, oh, okay, there is, Madison is definitely not being honest with people. She always brought it back to me because Madison was somebody, I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're still talking or what, but she would bring it back to me. And it was good because at first I was just so hell bent on being like, these are the things that Madison was saying to me though. Please believe me. I'm not making it up. I'm not crazy. She really did say this stuff. And my therapist very calmly, I mean, she, she acknowledged it and she said, but what you were seeing though was not what she was saying. And there was a disconnect there. And what you need to go off of in terms of the choices that you make for yourself is what you're seeing. And you're trying to control somebody else's choices and decisions, and you can't do that. So what you have to do is focus on what you can control. And in this case, understanding reality, which even if, and I had to come to terms with the fact, Madison probably was more honest with me than she was with anyone else. And that may be the life that she really wanted to live, but she was lying to everyone. And ultimately she was never going to act on what she was telling me. And she never had any intention to. That is what I had to base my decisions off of, not what I was hopeful may someday be the case. Yep. You had to accept that on its face. So that was kind of what my therapist brought it back to. And also just reaffirming to me, Sawyer, you are worthy of being chosen by someone who is proud to be with you. You are worthy of love that is open and free, not hidden under the guise of whatever that was. You deserve someone who's as all in as you are. That was very helpful. I do, I do regret connecting the two of them because I would have loved more insight from her on what I was saying Madison had done. And because, you know, confidentiality. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was curious, but I, that, that all, that all makes sense. There are things you said, (laughs) even back, this is so surface compared to everything else you shared, but you were like, two things I dread, smelling bad and being dull. I was like, oh, (laughs) I just want to be clean and funny. That's it. That's like really all I care about. Yeah. (laughs) Also, I was thinking at the same time, this has got to trickle through into her songwriting. I'm sure you're an incredible writer as far as imagery and emotion. So I just like, this makes so much sense. You were such a natural like communicate emotion, but also giving a mental image for things or um, just using descriptors. Mm-hmm. You did an incredible job. 
Thank you. And not just for giving me the space to share my own experience, but just what you're doing as a whole, the space that you're creating for people and voices that you're giving people who may not necessarily feel either empowered or like they have the right to share what happened to them. It's just, it's important for people to know they're not alone and also that what happened to them matters. And that's what you've been doing with every single person you've talked to. And they all have been so different, but so similar. And I think that both on the part of the person sharing and the listener, it's just so, I, I just have a feeling there's so much healing and growth happening as a result of what you're doing. And it's I hope so. It's really great. And I'm appreciative of it. And I know other people are too. Good. I hope so. And I know that for one person that tells their story, there are hundreds, if not thousands, that are going to feel that that person spoke for them. So even if I only find one, it's amazing how one voice can be that voice for others as well. So I would hope that that's my hope and, and, you know, getting your story out here too, because I know you're not the only one with an experience like this, but it's hard. You chose to step up though and admit your side and also what happened to you, what was done to you. And there's someone out there that's not at that, hasn't come as far as you have yet. And they need you to pave that path for them so that they feel that they can finally accept it both their side and what was done to them. So I have to give you credit and also stepping up and saying, I'm going to be part of this too. I'm going to do this for someone else that hasn't had this chance yet or hasn't healed or reflected like I have yet. They're still in that mess. Mm -hmm. My heart hurts for them. Seriously, before we got on the call, I just kept praying like, oh God, please make this matter and also help me not to sound like an idiot. (laughs) Thank you for being here, for subscribing, and for coming along with me as I learn the world of podcasting in this community takes shape. I have so many incredible stories coming next that I'm honestly having a hard time waiting each week to share the next one with you. If you found value in these conversations and you haven't already left a review, it would mean the world if you took a quick moment to write one or just share this with a friend who would appreciate it. Reviews and word of mouth are what grows a podcast. If you would like to help sustain this project, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash space and purpose, and all contributions go directly to supporting the ongoing costs of this podcast. If you can relate to any of the stories you've heard so far due to an experience with a manipulative or toxic person, and you feel you've successfully put some distance between you and that experience, you might want to consider reaching out to me via email so we can talk about sharing your story. That email is spaceandpurpose at gmail.com. Now, this isn't necessarily a platform to out someone or air frustrations, but hopefully to validate or affirm someone else that might relate and needs the encouragement. Last but not least, if you found this episode to be impactful, you will always make my day by posting about it in your Instagram stories and tagging me at Space and Purpose. I would love to hear from you. 